Thank you for joining us today on Positively Charged Biz. We are here to motivate, inspire, and support our listeners as they write their life stories. We are a proud founding member of the Real Disrupt Podcast Collaborative, and you can check out more awesome podcasts at realdisrupt.com. Hey, everyone, I hope you're having a positive and productive day. I'm Laura Brandeo, and today we have a very special guest that not only is going to inspire you, but is also here to educate us on podcasting, leadership, and the value of expanding our minds with a growth mindset. Let me introduce you to Jeff Brown. For over 30 years, Jeff Brown has earned his living behind a microphone, first as an award-winning broadcaster and now as an award-nominated podcaster, consultant, and speaker. A former nationally syndicated morning show host following a 26-year career in radio, Jeff went boss free in 2013 and soon after launched the Read to Lead podcast. It has gone on to become a four-time Best Business Podcast nominee and has featured Jeff's interviews with today's best business and nonfiction authors, including a few Alan Alda, Seth Godin, John Maxwell, Gary Vandercheck, Simon Sinek, Brian Tracy, and over 200 more. Jeff has personally coached hundreds of successful podcasters around the globe. Many of them are award nominees and winners themselves. Jeff and his work has been featured in Inc., Entrepreneur, and HubSpot, and the blogs of Seth Godin, Chris Brogan, Jeff Goins, and Social Media Explorer, as well as publications like the Nashville Business Journal, The Tennessean, and over a hundred other blogs and podcasts. Jeff, on Positively Charged Biz, we like to start at the beginning. So tell us, what was that pivotal moment that inspired and motivated you to start the Read to Lead podcast in 2013? Well, it's a great question. I appreciate you asking it, Laura. And, and for me, um, the, the reason I wanted to start the podcast was because I was looking at what life might be like beyond radio. I was beginning to think for the first time uh, what it would be like to earn a living outside of a nine-to-five-ish uh, job. And so um, I took the skills I already had at my disposal, and that was talking into a microphone every day and thought, what could I do with that? Uh, and I had a passion for reading um, and had, uh, in the years preceding this, had become a voracious, very intentional, consistent reader and had seen uh, the positive impact of, of reading on a regular uh, basis and reading intentionally on my career and my career tra uh, trajectory. And so after uh, a lot of thought and a lot of um, uh, other ideas that didn't pan out, I decided to start a podcast uh, where I would interview authors. I was reading about a book a week anyway. And so I thought, well, I'll do a weekly podcast. I'll interview authors. I may get some free books out of the deal. And maybe along the way, I can help teach other people the value of intentional and consistent reading. Now, in the early going, I had no idea how that was going to turn into income. I just knew that I needed to start uh, something and begin building, you know, that personal brand, if you will, that that place online that uh, that people would would uh, find me, uh, and and figure the rest out later. So that's what I did, uh, and within a few months, uh, thankfully, was able to 
I began uh, turning that into uh, income and didn't have to go back and, and get a radio job when I, in the middle of all that, lost my radio <laughs> job. So, <laughs> Well, look at that. So, okay, 2013, that was pretty early in the podcast world, right? A lot, a lot of people were listening to podcasts. So tell me what that experience was like. You know, what was that initial response? How did you create your audience at that time? Yeah, I I knew that uh, the key, having come from radio, I knew that the key was consistency more than anything else. And and I like to, to think that I uh, in the podcast space uh, and, and in all that I do, I practice excellence with consistency. I had seen uh, the value of doing that um, and that that pays off eventually if you'll not uh, lose heart, if you'll not give up, if you'll continue to show up every day. That that alone is something a lot of people fail to do uh, long term. So that was the beginning of it. And as I began to practice what I call excellence with consistency, what I found was that um, other people began doing the talking for me. Other people with their own platforms, platforms much larger than mine, began talking about my podcast, about my platform. And so I think if, 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 if you're wondering how you're going to make this thing happen, I think if you practice showing up, if you practice excellence with consistency, I think the cool part about all that is uh, you don't end up as much having to do the talking for yourself. I mean, granted, you know, marketing and all those things and social media all come into play. Uh, but when you can practice that consistency and that excellence, other people start doing uh, the talking uh, for you. I love that Steve Martin quote uh, from the book uh, Born Standing Up. Uh, and um, Another author uh, whose name escapes me at the moment went on to write a book that was sort of based on this quote. And, and, and Steve says, be so good they can't ignore you. Uh, try to be so good at your little niche uh, that people can't help but, but talk about you and tell their tribe about you. And so that's what I tried to do. I tried to do one thing really, really well, and that was interview successful business book leadership authors. And I thought, if I can do that better than anybody else, Maybe that's a, a smaller pond I'm fishing out of, but maybe I can be a big fish in them. I love that. And and you really give some valuable nuggets right there, right? Because so many people start things, um, but the consistency and continuing to show up that if you really break down what makes someone successful, and remember, everyone's definition of success is different, right? Uh, success is is you you've never truly get to the ultimate right but you're never going to reach wherever you're going if you don't continue to show up and provide excellence like you said and and you're very very on point that you could keep saying things about yourself but when other people start to speak about you that's how you know that you've reached a plateau of creating that excellence. So thank you so much for those those wonderful words. So going back, I want to go back a step. What things did you learn being in radio that actually made it so that when you made the transition to podcasting, what were some of those things? And I don't necessarily mean, obviously, you have a great radio voice. <laughs> Your voice is wonderful. That ties into that. So that's great. But what other things did you learn that ties in perfectly with being a podcaster? Yeah, uh, uh, consistency is a part of that. I talked about that a moment ago and, and showing up every day, certainly. Uh, but another part of that, uh, I think, for me was just having learned 
how to communicate a message, I think, at least in a, in a compelling way, in a way that, that resonates with, with listeners. And part of that for me, Laura, includes uh, understanding how to do what I call leveraging the intimacy of this medium, this, this medium, uh, uh, and I'm spe- uh, speaking specifically to the audio medium in particular. Um, I think there's a level of intimacy built into that innately. Um, and what a lot of um, audio content creators do is they inadvertently strip away layers of that intimacy without realizing it. And, and by that, I mean, I try to recognize the fact that every time I'm talking, every time I turn on my microphone, uh, I'm talking to one listener. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm not talking to groups of people. Granted, multiple people listen. At least that's the, that's the goal. But whenever I open my mouth, I'm talking to one person. And then I invite that, that guest, that author into the conversation. I never forget that that listener, that single individual is sitting right next to me. Uh, and the two of us are, metaphorically speaking, sitting across from that guest. And I'll even do things along the course of the interview where I'll, what is the equivalent of turning my head and looking at that person next to me and addressing them as an individual before going back and uh, talking again to the guest. So just little things like that that I think when people walk away uh, having experienced that, they know there's something different about it. They can't quite put their finger on it, but they walk away, hopefully, feeling as if they were present for an interview it's physically impossible for them to have been present for. But they, inside, psychologically, that's how they feel. And that's, that's a question I ask at the beginning of this journey is, how do I want them to feel? And I try to do things that, don't treat them like a fly on the wall uh, or an eavesdropper on a conversation I'm having with a guest, but as a participant. And I think that uh, learning that from radio has been uh, hugely helpful for what I uh, do now. Yes, that, that is a fabulous component. And I think that's a valuable point because if you're not part of the conversation, like you said, it seems like you're just an outsider listening in. So you engage them, you make them part of that conversation. And I I mean, obviously, I've I've listened to many of your podcasts, and it's a fantastic podcast. And I recommend everyone to start listening to it, because not only is it done well in terms of the style and how you do it, but Every single time you will walk away gaining information, gain, learning something, and the topics vary. You know, I, you have a wide array of different authors. It could be something business related. It could be self-improvement. It could be motivation or inspiration. It's very, very diverse. So even if one topic may not resonate with you, there's many, many different variations that will at that moment in time, you needed it. You were looking for that information. Um, so very, very valuable. So I highly, highly recommend. And, and I've been listening for quite some time. And, and in addition to that, I, I also want to give you a, a shout out on this. Your website, you've done a fantastic job on your website where you provide additional information about the authors and you really give a synopsis and you are um, providing very valuable information where you can dive into the topic. So tell me a little bit, um, I have to believe that over time you've kind of grown into that and morphed into what it looks like today. So tell me a little bit where did it start? Where did you start to say, okay, 
Now I've, I've gotten these guests, we've interviewed them, let's go deeper. Let's continue to add value for my, my podcast and for the author. So tell me a little bit about what you've done with designing the website and providing that value. Yeah, great question. Um, when I first started the show, um, I kind of had this mindset that uh, as I sat down to read an author's book, uh, the book that we were going to dive into together, that I had to ask a question out of every chapter, at least one. That was sort of my mindset. And about 10 or so interviews in, I realized that that, that wasn't really the goal. My, my goal really is to give listeners a taste, a wet the whistle, so to speak, and enough of the key insights and main ideas to help you make the determination as to whether or not this is a book you want to dive into more, more deeply. And so when the, when the website was first crafted, I was um, including quite a bit more information. It was much more exhaustive, um, uh, but, but just really for, for the sake of, it was almost like, uh, forgive me, regurgitating on the page, you know, what was in the show. And so um, uh, I, I realized that uh, what would be better would be a synopsis, a summary of what was in the show. Encourage people, you know, to dig into the, to the audio content if they wanted uh, if they wanted more, I still try to to cover all the the um, uh, you know key links and resources and things of, of that nature that we that we talk about. But in that case, as far as the website is concerned, I, I realized that less was actually uh, more, and so it's sort of morphed its way uh, to that sort of model over over time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, reading um, reading is very valuable to me. I am, I can never get enough. You know, I'm somebody that just wants to continually read. I, like you, I probably read at least a book a week. Um, but I have to, I'm somebody that I have to learn something from a book. I, I don't just dive into it for the joy of it. It's more of, wow, that moved me, or I learned something, or it was valuable, or it gave me a new perspective of something. Okay. Um, I want to know your opinion. Now, I mentioned to you, I have a 25-year-old, and I know that that generation isn't into reading as much as some other generations, and I want to know your opinion. You know, now, of course, they're more audiobook, things like that, which is great, great option. Many people, it's very valuable. What has been your opinion on that where, you know, like I said, I can't get enough of your podcast and what you're offering because I love to read. What have you seen in time? Now you've been doing this seven years. Has it changed? Has things, you know, over time morphed in that area too? Yeah, and I identify with those 20-somethings um, <laughs> as, as, as when I was one, um, I didn't enjoy reading at all. Um, I had a, a mentor when I was about 21, and I was considering radio sales and, and transitioning from being on the air to selling, which was where the quote-unquote real money was. Um, I had a mentor, you know, uh, give me a copy of uh, Secrets to Closing the Sale by mm -hmm. Zig Ziglar yep. and The Greatest Salesman That Ever Lived by Augmandino. And, and I read those books, or at least, I don't remember if I read all of them, but I read at least parts of them. And I, d I just, just remember being nonplussed about it all. I think at that time in my life, I just was honestly not mature enough to appreciate what these books had to offer. I mean, now those two books are, I consider to be some of the greatest books on selling ever written. And I just was too naive and too in my own world to appreciate that at the time. So I was in my early 30s before I began, uh, began uh, cultivating and reigniting a love uh, for reading. So I get it that 
for some, whether it's age related or something else, it's just, you know, it's just not the right time for whatever reason, or maybe opening a physical book is, is not, not the, uh, the best way for you to, to, to glean information from that. And that's another reason the podcast exists. Um, it's, I kind of consider it an audio cliffs notes, you know, uh, any, any young 20 uh, something is going to appreciate cliffs notes you know, if they spend any time in college. And, and, and I kind of see my podcast as a way for you to get those key insights and main ideas if that's all you want and you don't have the time or inclination to dive into the book in its entirety, but you still want to know some of those key things, you can get them in a 25 or 35-minute conversation. Now, as far as the, the ideal listener for the podcast uh, is concerned, when I first began the podcast, Laura, I kind of I was about 47, 48 at the time, and I kind of saw the ideal listener as being somebody um, who I used to be, someone you know, maybe 10 years earlier in their career, maybe in their mid to late 30s, um, but is kind of stuck and maybe in you know a mid-management type job and, and, and just kind of spinning their wheels and they've plateaued and they're not sure what to do next. And I realized that person was the perfect listener for my podcast, that that if they could get into reading like I did when I was their age, they could see the impact it could have on their career trajectory. Now, what's happened over the last six or seven years is while there are those listeners, like I just described, people just like me, but maybe a little bit younger and, and, and want to get to uh, the stage that I'm at or beyond or whatever, um, what I've found is the majority of my listeners today are CEOs, are presidents, or people like yourself. Yeah people who already understand the value of reading and what it can do for you. And they want, to, they understand the, the value of lifelong learning. And this is one of the ways experiencing the podcast is one of the ways they, they continue that they're already successful because they understand the value of intentional and consistent reading. Yes. And, and you are another good point. Never stop. Never stop. You can never, ever, ever stop learning. I don't care if you're 99 and a half, you know, keep <laughs> learning because because what's the joy? I mean, listen, we're at a very strange time in the world right now. We all know I was I was mentioning, you know, here here I am still in full quarantine because of the part of the country that I'm in. And I'm curious, you know, do you think people are, you know, I know you also consult. You consult, mm -hmm. you consult on podcasting, you consult from leadership perspective, you consult in many different ways. I'm curious from that perspective, what have you seen over this last, you know, couple of months as everyone is going through change, right? Every single person and company at this moment in time has gone through some type of metamorphosis. Some negative, some positive, some not as dramatic. But what have you seen and what has your guidance? And, and I know you speak a lot. You do a lot of connection to businesses. What have you seen and what advice do you have for people during this time? Well, to me, all of it, business, everything else, it all starts with in, with humans, with individuals. Um, and so much of what I uh, consult in and speak on is, is what the individual can do. And if we're all doing these things, the impact that it can, can have. And so as I have interviewed these, you know, almost uh, 325 authors and, and all the interviews I've done in you know, radio prior to that, 
I've, I've begun to see some patterns, some things that um, successful people tend to do. Now, not, not all successful people do all of these things. Some are successful doing only three or four of them. But I have seen that when you do all five of these things I'm about to unpack here briefly, um, you greatly increase the likelihood of your success. And, and by that, I mean the success of your business or anything that you're attached to. And, and so they, they spell the acronym uh, or the acronym DREAM is, 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 is how I break it down. So the D is invite danger. <laughs> now, I know we're no longer on the, on the Sahara and having to avoid, you know, saber-toothed tigers anymore. But what I, what I mean by inviting danger into your life is I mean getting outside your comfort zone, doing something every day that scares you, one small thing that just takes you a little bit outside your comfort zone because that's how we grow. The R of dream, no surprise here, habitualize reading. Make reading important enough that you schedule time for it every day and you protect that time. The E in that acronym is, speaking of scheduling, I'm a big proponent of scheduling everything. If I uh, were to show you my, uh, my uh, analog planner sitting right here next to me, you would see that there's little, if any, white space in my day. I work in time blocks. Now, that's not enough. Uh, uh, in addition to those time blocks, I have to make sure I'm very intentional and disciplined within them, right? It's, it's more than just blocking out time. But I spend my time on paper before I get to the end of my week and wonder where all the time went. It's much like a budget, right? So we spend our money on paper first, and that way we can tell it where to go instead of wondering where it went. I've had people look at my, what I call an ideal week uh, calendar, uh, first uh, envisioned and created by Michael Hyatt, a mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. And they look at my ideal week and they think, gosh, I don't want to be that busy. Well, it's, it's not about being busy. It's about me identifying beforehand. I'm going to live these hours, presumably. What would I, in a perfect world, like to do with them? Let's kind of map that out and that'll be our starting point. That'll be our ideal. We won't necessarily meet that ideal. It won't be perfect, but let's have some sort of ideal to start with, and that's going to ingrate, uh, greatly increase the likelihood that we'll get there, right? So that's, that's the E. The A is welcome accountability. And I do this through mastermind groups. I have one I meet with every Tuesday morning and another that I uh, lead that is biweekly, every couple of weeks. And that's about being challenged, about being encouraged, about being um, uh, every week surrounded by people who have similar values and goals and dreams that you have and want to see you achieve yours. Uh, and then the M uh, is dominate mornings. I think uh, our morning time, our morning rituals are some of the most important, uh, more, most important time of the day. Um, and I used to think, Laura, that a morning ritual meant, and mine was very regimented. It was a three and a half hour process. My sister jokes, that's just a morning. That's not a morning ritual. That's a morning. <laughs> And there was all these different things and you know, this thing took two minutes and this thing took five and it was just very regimented and nine times out of 10, I didn't get to all those things and I felt defeated and I felt like a failure. And when I realized, my friend Garland Vance taught me, who wrote a book called Getting Unbusy, he taught me that um, we need to treat it like a, an all-you-can-eat buffet and take okay. those things you'd love to accomplish and today, pick two or three of them that you'd really like to get done. And tomorrow, it may be a different grouping and the next day, it may be something else. But decide today, of those things that you would like to do on a given morning, which are the most important for today and concentrate on those. So dominate mornings. Again, that's the end. So um, invite danger, habitualize reading, schedule everything, welcome accountability, and dominate mornings. And I think if we're all doing that, 
then everything else we're touching, our relationships, our businesses, all those things um, um, are impacted positively by that. I 100% agree with all of that. Um, And I will tell you, one of my questions was going to be, what do you think the leader of 2030, 2035 looks like? But I think you just answered that question. (laughs) I think, honestly, anyone that is following that, those are the leaders of 2030, 2035, you know? And and I've thought a lot about that because, you know, the two of us, okay, here we are, we've gone through our careers, we've gotten to certain levels. And right now it's interesting to me that I spend a lot of time looking backwards, meaning it's time to say, okay, what can we do to pull forward, you know, our generation behind us to make sure that they're getting the proper um, support, mentorship, leadership, because, you know, it's, it's a struggle, right? I mean, it definitely is a struggle that, like we mentioned, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to get the, you know, who do we follow? And this generation is a little bit different because now it's, do I follow the person that's got so many followers on YouTube and Instagram, or do I actually do the work and, and figure out how to follow your steps of dream and mm. then, sure, you might be able to do the Instagram and YouTube based on Dream, but maybe that might not stick around the next 30 years. And maybe you need to also have another plan of how to do what will be successful for you. So I think that goes back to I love the fact of what you provide with your podcast. And you you mentioned that it's so much diversity and so short little clips that people of all ages should be listening into this. And I agree. It's easy for me to listen and instantly connect because it's familiar to me. I've already been studying seven habits of highly affected people since I was 24 years old. I mean, I, I could recite the, that book, you know? <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's very familiar to me. Where, like you said, when you're at different stages, when you have little ones running around, right? And, and you're dealing with that, plus you're dealing with life and you're dealing with business. Sometimes you're like, ah, that, I don't want to hear that at this moment. Mm. So with, with when you're going out, And I love Dream. I love the way you explained it. You really did give some great guidance out there. What else can we do collectively to look backwards, to provide mentorship, to provide the support and leadership? Because I think we can recognize the percentage of true leaders, it's actually very small. It's really not. And actually, before you answer that question, do you think leadership is something that can be taught or do you think it's something that you're born with that you mature and grow into something stronger? I think it's both, both and. I think there are some natural born leaders, some folks with some innate talents uh, to lead who who come more readily to it than right. others. Uh, but I think with the right mentors, I think leadership uh, can be taught. I think uh, I'm an example of somebody who viewed themselves for a long time as a natural born leader. Uh, but that got me into trouble because <laughs> I wasn't really a natural born leader. I just like to think of myself as one. And I had a very 
uh, very narrow view of what leadership was and a sort of a, um, uh, a skewed definition of what it meant to be a leader. And it took me uh, quite some time to unlearn uh, some of what I learned uh, in my younger days of what leadership really was. To me, leadership, uh, more than anything, is about, uh, John Maxwell says, influence. Mm -hmm. um, we all influence uh, someone. Um, and um, I've, I've viewed years ago as leadership as a title. Once, you, once you've got a particular title, then you've earned the right to tell people what to do. <laughs> you know, my 20s and 30s, leadership was very much about uh, having a title. Um, and, but I realize now that, that leadership is about leveraging the collective brain power of the room, uh, right? It's about equipping people uh, to be the best that they absolutely can be and not being, um, and not being, not only not being threatened by, but welcoming people into uh, your organization that are far better at what you've hired them to do than you will ever be. Right. I've worked for and been the type of leader that was intimidated by that um, at one time and, and um, uh, didn't want those folks around. I was the leader and that meant I was a person with all the answers and you just do what I tell you to do. Uh, but Liz Weissman taught me uh, in her book, uh, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, uh, that the, the great leaders are not diminishers, but multipliers. They understand how to leverage the collective brain power of the room, how to equip those around them to do all that they were uh, meant to do. And, and the best example of a, of a leader in my life who did that was the leader who got me excited again about reading and helped me to realize there's far more potential in me than I ever realized uh, it took somebody else showing that to me, and my eyes were opened to that by the way my thinking was being impacted through the books that I was that I was reading that he introduced me to. So going back to the question of mentorship and pulling forward, how do you recommend that we continue to support to be able to pull forward? Yeah, I think um, so many of us. Um, brag about leaders and, and, and others brag about, um, uh, we wear busyness like a, like a badge of honor, like a medal of honor. And, um, I think that it's possible to, um, find the sweet spot of, uh, purpose, uh, productivity and peace. Um, again, I learned this from a great author by a guy by the name of Garland Vance, who was on my show recently. Um, as far as those terms for it are concerned. And um, what I've understood and what I've begun to learn um, is crucially important for all of us, whether we're leaders or not, is that no is a complete sentence. So many of us are buried in um, otherwise uh, good commitments, things that are noble, things that um, seem like things we ought to do. Um, we default to yes. And then if we do say no, we feel like we need to defend right. the no to someone's request. Right. And so, um, I have learned the, the importance of defaulting to no and defending uh, my yes. I think it was Warren Buffett, uh, who's famous for saying, um, the difference between uh, successful people and really successful people is the really successful people say no to almost everything. And so I think we as leaders need to be teaching the next generation 
um, the value of saying no, that when you do that, I was just looking and making a list uh, this morning, in fact, of what I'd been able to accomplish uh, in the last uh, 12 months, a list that is not complete were it not uh, to include time with my wife, time with my family, time with uh, my mastermind group, those relationships. It wouldn't mean anything if it didn't include uh, those, those things. And, and the reason I'm able to, to make ample time for those things, like a date day every week with my wife on Wednesday, along with um, you know, leading workshops and launching an online summit, reading 60-plus books and creating a, a multiple courses and writing 5,000 words this month and getting a publishing deal and all those things um, is, is because I say no to all the other stuff that aren't a part of my biggest dreams and highest priorities that that frees me up to actually get uh the right stuff done to make the main thing the main thing so to speak got it awesome well i know you're also a speaker and i'm curious just your thoughts on this in this time of change who knows what speaking will look like in the future right i mean question mark right I definitely do believe that some of it will open up. Not sure if it will go 100% back to what it was like before. Do you feel that you can connect the same virtually versus face-to-face? Or do you think there's a way to modify it so that you can feel that connection? Well, I certainly hope so. You know, again, I spent a 26-year career in radio. And I prided myself in that environment. You can't see people, right. right? You can't hear them. They can't see you. They can only hear you. And if I wasn't connecting with listeners in a powerful way on a daily basis, then what was I doing it for? Right. You know, so um, I take those skills uh, and some of them I've, I've referenced previously and try to apply them to that environment as well, whether it's a, a Zoom call with a dozen faces and you can see them all or whether it's more of a webinar style call, excuse me, and there's hundreds of attendees and you, you can't see any of them. I think it's possible to, to make a connection. I, I, think, um, uh, I think you need to be real with people. I think you need to be transparent. I think you need to be human. Um, I think you need to not be afraid to share your shortcomings. Uh, I think... Uh, that draws people to you if you present yourself consistently as being bulletproof and and someone who you know um, hits a home run every time they get up to bat. Right. Nobody identifies with that. So um, that's not to suggest you need to be self-deprecating, but but I but I try to be you know just who I truly am and, and not be not be worried about um, sharing the occasional warts. Uh, so that people can feel like I'm, you know, I'm somebody they can identify with. Some I can, some I'm somebody they can relate to, and then from there, I, I use some of those techniques I talked about earlier. And that's just, you know, talking to to one person. I, I once interviewed on a podcast with a comedian who um, was sharing about how, you know, with him, podcasting is difficult, and when he does a podcast interview. He wants to have cameras on because he needs to see your face because he responds and, re- and reacts to facial expressions. He's used to standing up in front of a live audience. Uh, and this time right now for him is very uh, difficult because uh, he doesn't have that immediate feedback always. He can't always uh, see faces. It certainly is a learned uh, skill. It doesn't come naturally uh, to, some, to some folks. Um, but it, the only way you're going to get 
to the other side of that is to just make yourself do it. It was the opposite for me when I first got into public speaking. I was terrified of public speaking. I'd done radio for years and at any given moment, turn on a microphone and have thousands of people listening to my voice. But to get up in, in, in a room in front of 50 people, that was terrifying to me. But the only way I got through that and, and to the point where I'm at today is going back to this whole getting out of your comfort zone thing is I make myself do it. I just started small and, and they got larger as I went along. I just make myself do it again and again and again. And the more I did it, the more comfortable it became and the better I got out of it. So, so that's really the only advice I can give there. If it's a struggle for you now, the only way you're going to get outside that struggle is to make yourself do it and to keep doing it. I've already got several uh, gigs lined up over the next uh, uh, few months, both large groups and small, where I'm presenting what was supposed to have been you know, a face-to-face uh, talk that will have to instead be uh, something a little bit different. But um, I'm, I'm not concerned about uh, connecting with that audience um, in that way the least little bit. That's great. So I'm, I'm curious, during this strange time in our world, has there been something that you learned that you're going to continue to do? Um, yeah, I think for me, uh, one of the things I've learned that I've been a little bit surprised at uh, is people are, many people are mm-hmm. still hungry to, to learn. Um, you know, this uh, whole coronavirus has thrown a wrench in, in, in the proverbial wheel for, for many of us. Um, but that has just created many new opportunities uh, for folks like me uh, uh, to folks who want to learn. And so in April, I created um, a new podcast course uh, uh, that was very successful. I'm right now creating uh, what I call a productivity accelerator that I'm launching uh, next week that's going to walk a group of people over the course of 10 weeks through accomplishing some of these very things I'm talking about, purpose, productivity, and peace, the trifecta that it's possible to be uh, to quote my friend Garland again, unbusy, uh, but still accomplish your biggest dreams and your highest priorities. So uh, people are still wanting those things. In fact, I think more so now than just about any time in recent uh, memory. And so that was a bit of a surprise for me. Things um, haven't necessarily, at least in, 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 in from my chair, just you know shut down completely. Folks are still coming to the table hungry, hungry to learn. That's great. That's great. That's wonderful. Happy to hear that. And it's very interesting. Everyone that I've spoken to has has had some type of surprise in a positive way. They honestly have said, wow, I was surprised by this. And not only am I going to lean into that, I'm going to thrive and push forward. So that's fantastic. Now, back to the podcast course. I'm just in one thing. If you are going to give one piece of advice to someone that has a podcast or is thinking of starting a podcast, what would it be? Yeah, if you're thinking of starting one, there's a very specific piece of advice that on the surface sounds almost like a no-brainer, but you would be surprised at the number of people who don't do this. And, and I told my, my, the, my beta users of, my, of the original iteration of my course a few weeks ago, set a launch date, pick a date that you're going to launch this thing, and then make it public. And, and make sure that date is one you can work backwards from and set milestones that lead up to that date. If you don't set a launch date right now, you probably, odds are high, you will not publish. Um, and I've seen that again and again and again with people who just say, well, I'm going to start doing the stuff I need to do. And then when I get all that stuff done, I'll publish the podcast. No, 
as, as you alluded earlier with uh, the seven habits of highly effective people, <laughs> one of those habits is begin with the end in mind. That's demonstrating that when launching a podcast. Pick that date, work backwards from there, and you'll greatly increase the likelihood that you'll actually launch. And for those already doing a podcast, um, depending on how long you've been doing it, um, uh, if, if you're at a place where you're just wondering if this is all worth it, should I keep doing it? Um, I would encourage you to stay at it. And going back to what I said earlier, uh, and you know this, Laura, mm-hmm. consistency is the key to all of this. If you have any desire to grow your listenership, uh, to get uh, noticed by certain influencers, to attract um, sponsorships, let's say, all of those uh, groups are looking for consistency. They're looking for those who are doing the things that most people aren't doing, and that's showing up every week or every month or whatever it is. And so if, if you're discouraged, I, I have a, a group of podcasters I, I coach uh, as a group, and, and I've seen one of them really take that to heart, one of them in particular take that to heart. And she's been podcasting for a little over a year now, and starting to see sort of that flywheel principle that uh, Jim Collins talks about in the book, Good to Great, is beginning Love to take book. effect. <laughs> Great <Yeah>. book. <laughs> where she's just, you know, she's done the hard work. She's laid the groundwork. And now it's at that point where she, with a flick of a finger, that thing is spinning, almost got a life of its own now versus, you know, her having to huff and puff her way to getting that thing spinning, so to speak. And it's, you know, she's being, uh, she does a, a podcast um, uh, called That Shakespeare Life. And she's beginning to get noticed by uh, Shakespeareans, uh, by uh, those in positions of power in that world and educators and uh, people overseas. And, 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 and it's just really exciting to see that sort of uh, break open uh, for her now that she's, you know, she's, she's put in the work. That's wonderful. And and as you're saying all these things, Jeff, you know, my whole mind as you're speaking is these are basic human philosophies. I mean, almost everything that you have said, being consistent, showing up every day, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, just sticking with it, you know, getting up early and, and have like, honestly, whatever you do in life, those basic philosophies should be applied because it truly does make it so that you can have whatever it is that you want. And that goes personally and professionally. So everything that you've offered today um, absolutely has been so such valuable information. And on hmm. top of, of course, the value of reading and feeding your mind. Just keep feeding your mind with whatever it is that makes you happy, right? Like just even the podcast you just mentioned. Now for people that Shakespeare is their passion, that's fantastic that there's a podcast out there that that builds a connection. That's wonderful, right? So whatever it is that makes you happy, Lean into it and and feed your brain. All right, Jeff. So tell us all, how can the audience listen in, connect to you, learn more? How do we do that? Yeah, the best place to go to uh, on on the internets, uh, on the interwebs, as they say, is readtoleadpodcast.com. Uh, you can uh, find out more about the podcast there, about me. You can s- subscribe to the podcast in you know, the podcast app of your choice. Just search read to lead or read to lead podcast. Uh, so I'd love to connect with you uh, there. And, and um, I've got a, a free resource on my site, the uh, 
12 all-time best business and personal growth books as recommended by the people I've interviewed on my show. Um, and when you sign up for that resource, you get on the email list, of course, and I'll keep you updated with um, all that's going on in uh, the world of uh, Read to Lead. Absolutely. I agree with those 12 books. I do know what they are. And <laughs> yes, it's it's definitely good. Um, love receiving your emails. I, am, I did subscribe awesome. to that and it's wonderful. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for everything that you do. You truly provide value to the, mm. the entire marketplace and we appreciate you. So thanks well, so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I truly uh, consider it an honor to be here. So uh, I look forward to all that you have uh, going on in the coming weeks and months and f uh, keeping tabs on what you're doing. Uh, I just really appreciate you inviting me on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Positively Charged Biz. I'm Laura Brandeo, and we are here to motivate, inspire, and support our listeners as they write their life stories. If you have an inspiring story, please email me at laura at positivelycharged.biz. And remember to subscribe to hear more great guests. And connect to us on Facebook at Positively Charged and Instagram at Positively Charged Podcast. Until next time, we wish you a positive day.